0: Welcome to Well Workplaces. I'm your host, Tom Bosner, and in today's episode, I speak with Malo Kalako, a high-performance coach and leader in the field of mindfulness. In episode eight, Mallow shares his deep insights on how he traveled the world on a mountain bike, staying with indigenous tribes, and learned a lot about mindfulness practice along the way. He talks about how he worked with psychiatrists on mindfulness training and how his managed to marry the best of Eastern and Western practices to create a really accessible and easy model of mindfulness training for corporates. He talks about how novices can practice mindfulness really starting from a baseline and how simple small habit creation can make a huge difference to a lot of people, especially in a really distracted world that we're living in. I hope you find today's episode really practical and easy. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Well Workplaces podcast, where we chat with health and well-being leaders that create ripples of positive change in the workplace. And today, I'm really happy to be chatting with Mallow Kalako. Mallow, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Nice to be here, and thanks for having me on.
0: No problem at all. Now, really excited to talk about mindfulness today. There's a lot that's been said about mindfulness in the last couple of years. I think, from my perspective, anyway, in the last maybe in the last five years. And I feel like it's become a little bit more popular in the mainstream with actors, CEOs and and athletes using it. I was watching a documentary about the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan and I believe Phil Jackson, the coach there, was a big user of uh, mindfulness or at least facilitated that within the team and that seemed to work for those guys. I think in also, Mallow, in today's where we're sitting now in a, in a fairly funny year, which has been 2020, Part of this podcast is really about bringing some new tools to people to use, to help with them to get through what has been a challenging year. So that's really where you come in, mate.
1: Yeah, great. It's exactly the year for it being a quite a challenging year and people are putting their hands up to learn some new techniques and you know, mindfulness being one of them to help them with their resilience and with you know, all the problems that are going on with the current COVID situation. I'm busier than ever, that's for sure, which is which is a good thing. And I'm helping and supporting as many people and, and companies as possible. And I've actually been you know, teaching and practicing mindfulness for 25 I keep saying 25 years but I keep aging every year so it must be, like, must be more like three decades now I'd say probably 30 years far before it was a buzzword far before mindfulness was a bit of a popular word so I've seen the transition of it you know over the decades and I'm wrapped that companies are taking it on wrapped that the population you mentioned before athletes uh, actors and all sorts of people and that's the population I work with also so it's a good thing it's a really good thing
0: yeah yeah that's a long time to be in this game and of mindfulness and to now see it come to uh, I suppose front of mind and to be a bit more mainstream that's really exciting for you Mallow, could you tell us a little bit about your story and especially how you got into mindfulness all those years ago and and also how you ended up helping workplaces with mindfulness training
1: sure yeah like I said it's been about a three decade journey and originally I got into meditation and mindfulness through martial arts actually so that's how I entered and I realized very quickly that the power of the mind was as important if not more important than the power of the body or the strength of the body so that's why I immersed myself in the practice and then I literally dove in headfirst with all sorts of meditation practices. I actually cycled around the world on my mountain bike. And along the way, I stayed in monasteries and temples. And it took me about three years or so and really immersed myself in the spiritual practices of meditation. And then although that that experience and learnings is now being translated into what I do now in my professional role as a mindfulness coach and high performance coach, I work with a whole range of companies. And I basically build resilient teams, build teams that can really operate at their best and function at their best and be more productive, be more aware, be more engaged. So it's been an evolution in progress. And I think the turning point for me to transition into the Corporate space was I was doing some work in mental health clinics. I was working, I work in four uh, psychiatric clinics, and I was doing inpatient programs and outpatient programs. So, inpatient for the patients inside, and outpatients for the ones that have left the clinic but come back for support. And I was really quite shocked on how popular the program was. I was running mindfulness programs. I was really quite shocked. There was actually a waiting list for my programs. And I was also quite shocked on the people that were coming to them. And a lot of them were burnt out CEOs, burnt out executives, burnt out athletes, even a lot of medical professionals, nurses, doctors that were burnt out. So I was quite shocked. So I thought, you know what, I need to actually catch these people beforehand you know nip it in the bud so give them some preventative measures and make an intervention so that's where I transitioned into doing a lot of work in the in the corporate space and giving people tools and techniques to be more resilient to be more aware to be more engaged to be more emotionally intelligent so rather than meet them on the other end in the clinic I'd rather give them you know tools and techniques beforehand so that's what I I transitioned into the corporate space, and now, yeah, running programs, workshops, six-week programs, half-day programs, lunch and learns, and yeah, loving it, loving to see the many companies taking it on, which is great.
0: Yeah, thanks, Mallow. That's a really interesting story. I like. I'd love to hear about you riding your mountain bike around the world. That sounds really interesting. Can you tell us about that?
1: Basically, I I took off. It was about two decades ago. It was uh, six of us planned a mountain bike trip around the planet uh, to circumnavigate the planet. And unfortunately, one by one, all of my friends backed out on me so then it ended up being just me doing a solo trip so i was in the position of you know do i also bail it or do i go for mm. it and i went for it and i think that was the very first lesson that i learned you know about trust and you know, trusting myself and facing fears and all those sort of things and along that those travels i i traversed africa india asia europe you know, americas and mostly living and staying with indigenous people and Mm. really immersing myself, getting sick along the way and caught malaria in Africa and all these things. So if you ask me where I learned my lessons of mindfulness, it was basically on the road, like really a lot of challenging situations that I had to face adversity and all these things. So I translate that now into the work that I do when I talk about, I can speak from experience as opposed to, textbook clinical mindfulness which you learn in a book this is you know real life experiences and probably the best thing I ever did in my life because I was never alone even though I went solo I was never alone I was always with people and always welcomed into families and homes and the hospitality you know was amazing so
0: great experience what what an amazing journey as well just to throw yourself into it and and no doubt lots of lessons learned along the way is that where you feel like you gained your understanding of the eastern approach to Mindfulness.
1: Yeah, I blend both. So originally, my background, like I said, I entered through martial arts. So it's more from the spiritual purpose of that and all those Eastern philosophies, practicing Taoism and Buddhism and all these things. So I have that quite strong Eastern background yeah, with mindfulness, and I really, well, that's where mindfulness really originates from thousands of years ago. But also now working in the clinics and working in you know the corporate space, I also have that Western clinical. And, and what I like to do personally is actually blend the best of the East, the best of the West and put it in the middle and just make it really accessible and really practical to learn. And you know, when I'm going into a company, especially uh, if it's a group of engineers or accountants or things, I don't use too much of the Eastern language and I just really bring it in to make it very practical. And a lot of the skeptics that are in the room, they say, oh, wow, I didn't think it was like that. It's actually quite good. So that's my main mission in a way is to break the preconceptions and to break the skepticism around mindfulness and meditation. And often I don't even use the word meditation in the first few sessions because people have these preconceptions about it. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's where I I cut my teeth originally by learning all those lessons on the road and jumping in there. And now I can speak to many different populations, which is great.
0: Yeah, such a well-rounded sort of story from, yeah, that East learning a lot through the traveling and then ending up working in more of a Western style. Was it the the psychiatry facility to to help people and bringing those, I suppose, what what I like to call upstream preventative sort of approaches to to healthcare. Really interesting. Hey, Mello, just on the topic of mindfulness, I think a lot of people hear the word now, especially in corporate, and they like the word, but they don't really know what it actually means. Can you tell me mindfulness, like what is it and, and mindfulness practice? What it, What actually is it?
1: Mm, I like the simplicity of it, to be honest. I think mindfulness is a very simple practice. And I think it's sometimes overcomplicated in the West and people hear the term a lot. And mm. when I was traveling, one, one good example was when I was, I was staying in a particular monastery and it was all about mindfulness. And everything that you do had a mindful theme to it. So whether you were washing the dishes or whether you were chopping the vegetables or whether you were eating, you had to be fully present with what you're doing and you, it wasn't a silent retreat. You could talk a little bit, but you had to talk about the thing that you were doing. If you were chopping the vegetables, for example, you could only talk about how beautiful your carrot looked that day or you know, the onions or whatever it was. So all about that. When you were eating, you were just eating and, you know, tasting the flavors and the aromas. And I think that the simplicity of it is really powerful. Then when I came back to actually Australia some years later, and I was working in one of the psychiatric clinics, one of the, the head psychiatrists came along and gave me her latest book that was actually just published about mindfulness. And I thought, fantastic. And she's a very well reputed psychiatrist. And it is a great book. But when I opened it up, it was like 52 chapters on mindfulness. I was like, oh, my God, this is so complicated. I couldn't even understand it. I couldn't get it. It's almost like a bit overcomplicated. So you know, at, at its most fundamental level, mindfulness is just simply paying attention to the present moment with open awareness and curiosity and just being fully engaged with all the senses. So that's it. Basically, really simple, being fully present in the present moment and being open and non-judgmental. And I think I like that simplicity. Athletes might feel it when they're in the flow, they might describe as being in the flow state when everything just flows really easily, really well. And chances are you are already practicing mindfulness when you're doing those things that you like doing, when you're more engaged. So really that's all it is, it's attention training and training your attention to stay focused on the thing that you are doing on task. There's research says that we are actually 47% of the time off task. So our mind is elsewhere. So even in this thirty-minute podcast we got today, chances are, yeah, our mind will be flicking off here and there in different places, starting to think about other things. So we need to actually train our attention to be present, to stay present. So that's uh, the most fundamental, easiest way. And when I ask the question in the corporate arena, and I do ask, you know, what is mindfulness? Exactly what you ask me, people always try to come up with this very complicated term, but really, it's simply being present.
0: Really simply. Yeah, I really like your. Example there, and how simple you've made that because, as I asked you, mindfulness the word it sounds like it should have a simple explanation, but then if you go and try and research it and work out what it is, or you hear various people use the word, they're often applying it across yeah. a number of you know interventions, not actually just to how you put it there. One other way of looking at it, Mallow, or the way I like to look at things sometimes is what's the opposite of mindfulness. Could you explain to the listeners what's the opposite of mindfulness or being mindful?
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's where people spend a lot of time. And in this modern world we live in, we are very distracted. So we are often doing two or three things at once and we're basically practicing mindlessness, really the polar opposite of mindfulness and we're, we're training our attention to do two or three things at the same time. So as I said, the research says that we're 47% of the time off task, we're not even on task. So think about all those things that you do in your day from the moment you wake up in the morning, you have a shower, brush your teeth, you do all those morning routines chances are your mind's already gone. If you're in the shower, for example, are you really in the shower washing your hair and saying, "Mm, I love the smell of my lime and coconut shampoo this morning. It smells so good. Are you already flicking yourself into your day, maybe even stressing out and already catastrophizing about the day ahead? So that's where you need to train your attention to be more present and to be more mindful. So the the polar opposite is called the default mode is what they call it, where it's a, a, a network around the brain, which actually keeps you off track basically so the 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 question is when you're not on task where is your mind like where is it is it in the future is it thinking about the future maybe even catastrophizing about the future and that's quite common now in this particular situation people are spending a lot of time in the you know what if scenario what if i lose my job what if i this covid situation keeps going what what if melbourne doesn't open up what if Mm. spending a lot of our mental energy the future or even ruminating about the past yeah that's the thing is where does your mind go when you're not present and the other research says that we are the happiest when we are engaged in what we're doing so we're engaged in the present moment and that's where often people get confused about mindfulness and thinking it has to be cross-legged keeping your eyes closed and doing that and that's true there is that that element where you do have to stop and close your eyes and do that practice it's called the, the formal practice but please let go of all the preconceptions about incense and all that sort of stuff. It doesn't have to be that. It can just be you know sitting cross-legged at, at your desk, just sitting at your desk just in your normal chair. But the other practice is called the non-formal practice. And that's really where it trains your attention to do all those things in your day more mindfully. Like I said, in that monastery, yeah, when you are eating your food, just eat your food. When you are washing the dishes, just wash When you are going for a walk with a dog, just go for a walk with a dog. When you are sitting at the beach, and that's called the non-formal practice. And that's where it actually trains you to stay focused on one thing. And it trains your attention. It might sound very simple and very you know, fundamental, but it trains your attention to be focused on one thing. So then when you are working, your ability to stay focused is stronger. You're actually training your attention. So. <laughs> Unfortunately, in this modern world, we are very distracted. So we need to actually
0: take action to train ourselves to be more present. Yeah, you, really good points. And I, I think it sounds really simple, but the application of things of attention is actually really challenging. And I was at the beach yesterday, actually, and noticed that people were on the beach with their phones on, there was couples sitting together they their you know, what they're, they're at probably at the most, one of the most relaxing spaces they could be in, especially with what's going on in the world. And they're on their phones. They're probably looking at social media, then into emails and they often would put, they were putting their phone away and then they'd get it back out about five minutes later. So it shows you that the, the real challenge there is the attention side of things. Mm, yeah, exactly.
1: And we need, we actually need to train it. We do everybody says they want more time as soon as they get time they get free time they actually fill it up with their telephone they pick up their telephone and scroll across and you know look at all these things and they you know fill it up and that just that just hijacks your attention and we only have so much attention capacity you know we mm-hmm. only have so much that we can focus and you know, the other interesting research i was reading recently was it if you have a pop-up notification pop up on your computer when you're doing some work, it takes an average of a minute or so to get back on track, even if you don't open up the notification or if a text buzzes in the background and you add that minute up over a working week and it's around about 8.5 hours of productivity of mm-hmm. time. So we really need to reclaim that and turn off the distractions around us. And podcasts are a good example. I know we're doing one right now, but many people, yeah, you know, listening to podcasts while they're doing other things, and they're trying to do three things at once to maximize their time. But sometimes I say to people, just go for a walk, just for walking's sake. You know, just go for a walk with nothing on you, and that's a mindful practice on its own. And no telephone, no podcast, no nothing else. Just be for a while, and that's where your mind can start getting some space and some clarity. Yeah. Also, with eating is a really good example that research says that if we eat in front of the computer we get hungry about 20 minutes later and we crave carbohydrate. We crave some sugar because we haven't had that reward system in our brain. So what I do with a lot of my clients is just say, just reclaim your lunch break, just get away from the computer and just spend 10 or 20 minutes and just be present with your food and taste the the flavors and smell the aromas. And it's just such a good thing for you to do to be more present with that. So when you do go back to work and open up the computer again, you're a bit fresher and ready to reset.
0: Yeah, that's great. So we're talking here, reclaim reclaim your lunch and reclaim your walking or your exercise. I'm definitely guilty of the exercise one, Mallow, where I'll ride my bike into work. I listen to a podcast at the same time. And I actually, I don't know why I did this, but going back six months ago or so, I was just on this real buzz of listening to a podcast and making Making those that running or that cycling time really pr- what I thought was productive by listening mm. to podcasts at the same time. But what I found was over a period of about a month, I just felt a bit overloaded and I couldn't, I wasn't really finding any space to think. And so I've actually gone the complete opposite, which beca- is because I've been practicing mindfulness for, mm. for a while. And it's been as simple as letting, you know. There's so many distractions. There's the watch to measure how many steps or whatever you do. There's the phone to listen to stuff, or there's there's so many things yeah. you can measure. So I've actually just left it all at home, and I've been running and or walking or cycling and just doing it, and f- been feeling so much better because you just your brain just gets a bit of time to recharge and just to let mm. you get your mind get let is let to wonder, which is great.
1: Yeah, and especially in this the world we're in right now where our you know, our workplaces are our homes and we're you know, really blurring the edges around working from home and there's no break time, there's no space. So we, whatever way you can create space, whether it's just a walk around the block without any devices, it's a great way just to reset and get some clarity and get some focus again because all of us are trying to fill up every single moment of our day with something else just to you know, mm. take up our mental but there's a burnout rate to that, and going back to the burnout in the clinics that I that I work at. And I often ask the question to some of the patients that um, come in, I say, I said, what happened? And this could be an executive that's worked decades in a company. And they say, I was just overwhelmed. It was just all too much. Is usually the word I hear overwhelmed. Mm. And we are in this overstimulated, overwhelmed world all the time. And we feel that we can't take breaks for ourselves. We feel that we can't take renewal breaks. And we feel that we have to fill up every single moment of every day to be digesting and taking information and that's where I see you know, the, the big burnout rate. And that's like, like I said, it quite shocked me. Actually, there was one particular you know, story around this where I was working in one workplace. It was an IT company. And there's about 12 or 15 in the group. I won't mention the name, of course. And there was one particular, it was a six-week program. And there was one particular fellow in the program that was a little bit, you know, anti this mindfulness stuff is like oh, i don't need this stuff in my life. this is all rubbish sort of thing this was week two and he didn't come back to any more sessions basically mm. and he uh, this guy was always on the phone he's was be going out and you know checking his telephone he was always text so he wasn't even present in the sessions and then 90 minute sessions and then he didn't come back to the program so it was a six-week program he only did one one and a half sessions and then I didn't see him for a while and then I funnily enough, about six months later, I was working in one of the psychiatric clinics that I work at. And guess who walks in the door?
0: The no. same fella that Oh wow. Yeah,
1: he walked he didn't recognize me I don't think and I obviously didn't want to embarrass him but I said "Oh, welcome to the session and it was a four week program an inpatient program right. and I said you to stick around for the session he goes yeah yeah so I just wish that he, you know, he would have taken on those practices I wish he would have stuck around and given it a shot given it some time because what I see is that the everyday stress is busy and that's normal you know, we have everyday stressors that come in mm-hmm. that, that's a normal thing you can still thrive under those conditions because we need stress to operate but then that turns into what's called chronic stress and overstimulated, overwhelmed. And that's where we need to actually have our own self-care strategies, whether it's meditation, whether it's exercise, whether it's good nutrition, your adequate sleep, making sure you're taking breaks, all these things you need to do in that space. Otherwise, it turns into allostatic load and allostatic stress, and then they're just like exhausted. They've just got nothing left. And then it turns into burnout and poor mental health. We really need to manage our stress on a daily basis. Do something for yourself, do something that nourishes you, do something that makes you feel good, do something to give yourself a bit of space and a bit of time off of this overstimulated world we live in.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's a really interesting story about that particular person. And also, perhaps if he had his time again and he could have got into the particular course that you were running at that workplace, maybe the outcome would have been slightly different for him. Mallow, mm-hmm. with those types of people that are running a 100- hundred miles an hour and to be fair that's a lot of people or that's how they feel at the moment especially in the climate that we're in if you were blank if it was a blank canvas what would you say to someone just to get them started in the practice of mindfulness where would you begin
1: yeah, first of all, break a little bit of the scepticism. Like I said, just uh, let let go of that scepticism around meditation has to be uh, long hair, hippie sort of things. Please let go of that. We're pretty good now in the modern world, and I think we're getting that. But basically, I ask them to take on a short practice. So one of the first things I teach is what's called a 90-second breath break just 90 seconds and everybody can afford 90 seconds and it's really powerful even for long-term meditators that have been practicing years. When I go into companies and I teach this 90 second breath break, what it does, it deactivates the stress response, it deactivates the amygdala and it switches on the prefrontal cortex and your ability to plan and problem solve and decision-make and regulate your emotions is uplifted. So when I teach that's a really giving them permission just to say, okay, it doesn't have to be 10 minutes or 20 minutes, just 90 seconds is enough and then make that cumulative over time. So that's their, what's called their formal practices set. And that's just a breathing practice where they follow their breath for 90 seconds. And the other thing I, I, I ask people to try to do is to just to choose one thing and do it more mindfully. Not 10 things, just one thing. So for example, from this session today, everyone could just choose one thing and say, okay, I'm going to eat more mindfully. I'm going to eat away from the computer for a couple of weeks and just see what effect that has. Or it might be, I'm going to go to bed without my telephone by my bedside. Or I'm going to make sure when I'm having a shower, I'm just enjoying the shower for what it is. So I ask them just to choose one, Mm. only one. Once that practice becomes ingrained, it becomes a habit and a ritual, then you can anchor other things to that. So for example, for myself, I walk every single morning. That's my morning non-negotiable. I do a nice walk along the beach and then I stop and do a meditation. And then after my meditation, I have a healthy breakfast. So I have three wins before the days even started mm. that are just for me. But I but I initially started from just a walk. So I started that walk. Once I got the walk down pat and that was you know, ingrained in my lifestyle, then I added the meditation after that. Yep. So Interesting. that's my advice. One thing I think is really one thing, important.
0: Yeah. And then is when you batted those t- three things together, is that called habit stacking?
1: Yeah. Habit stacking is a, is a term they use. Yeah. I was not conscious of it until you know, someone mentioned it recently, that thing. I just did it. But that's the thing if I asked you to go away and do 15 things, you wouldn't yeah, do yeah. any of them, yeah, but at least get one thing down and make it not negotiable. It's in your diary. No one can hijack that time. So for example, it could be just an afternoon walk. A good thing right now in this workplace that we're doing right now because people are working from home is to say, okay, close your day mindfully, finish your work day, maybe even get out of your shirt and business shirt, and put on your casual clothes, take a nice walk around the block or wherever you can and just separate and make clear boundaries. So that could be your one thing that you do more mindfully. Uh, So I'm I'm a big one on one thing. Once you can start doing one thing, you can start building up the practice and, yeah. The formal practice, that 90 second breath break, if you do five 90 second breath breaks in a day, so for example, you might be working behind the computer, you've got 35 windows open on your laptop, and you're like, oh my God, I'm feeling a bit frazzled, I don't know what I'm looking at anymore, just stop, just pause, close the computer, step back, and follow your breath for 90 seconds, and it deactivates the, it activates what's called the parasympathetic nervous system and it puts you into relaxation response, then reset. So if you do five of them in a day, you've pretty much done a 10 minute practice. So it doesn't Mm. take long to build it up.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. And what's great about your advice there is that it's breaking it down to its extremely basic form, which is the breath and then picking one of your, maybe one of your habits that you could improve. Uh, A lot of people do take their phone into their bedroom for some reason that even leaving that out could be a nice one or it could be going for a walk without the phone or take or yeah. doing a bike ride without your phone i was mentioning how i was going a bit podcast crazy six months ago and, and realized there was a bit of a problem there so it might just be something yeah. like that for people to to stop and, and be more mindful in the activity that they do. The lunch one as well that you mentioned there, Mello, It Mello, when you hear it, it sounds ridiculous that people need to think about what they're eating and really ensure that they enjoy their meal. But that's actually where we're at in the world at yeah. the moment, which is people scoffing their food and checking their phones at the same time. It's insane. So I love your exactly. advice. <laughs>
1: yeah it's so simple it really is so simple and, that, and that's how it should be like really if you people say i don't have time so they work behind the computer but really is it that productive smashing out that email or writing that thing in that time chances are you've probably got to the end of the sandwich and you haven't even realized it's gone and you're just scoffing it down but really just stopping for 10 minutes doesn't take that long to eat really it takes 15 20 minutes at the tops but just stepping away going out into the courtyard or going to a, another space is just a a simple thing that can really help your whole day because otherwise your whole day is reactive everything just flows into one thing to another thing to the next thing and by the end of the day you're just working in this reactive way and you've had no renewal breaks and you're just exhausted and we're not machines we can't keep going you know, 24 hours a day and in regards to peak performance we can really only operate in around 90 minute to two hour chunks of peak performance and then we need a little renewal break whether that's you know, go make a cup of tea or whether that's do a little meditation break or whether that's go for a walk or just change the scenery, then we can reset for the next 90 minutes or two hours. It keeps going like that Mm -hmm. to be the best.
0: I really like how you've mentioned the word performance there because a lot of people that are high performers or they are fairly conscious of being productive all the time, sometimes Mm -hmm. understanding that mindfulness can enhance their performance is a way of them getting into this practice initially. And they might feel like the actual practice of mindfulness initially is very unproductive because they're not ticking things off or they're not hammering away at things, but it's, sometimes it's slowing down to then get be more productive. And one of the things I've looked at or and I've also seen with other people as well is just simply blocking out your first four hours of your day to not be doing anything that is reactive. So planning all your deep thinking work mm-hmm. in the morning for the first till 11 o'clock at least. And then all the emails and all the reactive stuff, just do it after two o'clock when your brain's, you know, not really working that way anyway. And it's just, you don't really need to think too hard to send emails.
1: I agree. Yeah, I agree. And there was one particular CEO that I was working with and we managed to finally get the telephone away from his bedside. And he says, Oh no, Melo, I have to check in the morning. And I had a company for about three or 400 strong. I have to see what's going on. I said, do you really at six 30 in the morning? And it was a bit of a weaning process. It took about three months to eventually get there. But now he says, Oh my God, Melo, this is like having a two hour holiday every single morning. You know, I get up in the morning, I have my breakfast, I walk the dog, go for a bit of a exercise, I have a shower. And then when I'm on, when I switch the computer finally on, I'm really on and I'm engaged and and not getting hijacked by emails and all those things. There's a great book that you've probably heard of called Eat the Frog. Eat the Frog is uh, about menopause time I, I go one step further with that and i call it seek the uncomfortable look for the hardest thing that's going to require your cognition mm-hmm. and and meet it head on in the morning before you get hijacked by all your emails and all those sort of things and yeah every day i look for what makes me the most uncomfortable and now i, I actually get excited about looking in my door and oh here it is i'm going to take this one on first thing in the morning and i love it and then the rest of the day is pretty easy going in, in that way that's great yeah it's that's really
0: it's really good. Simple. It's it's simple and it's matching your your cognitive energy with the the difficulty of the task and ensuring that gets done straight away or first thing when you feel like you're at your best. Really good. The other
1: opposition I get with a lot of the executives and CEOs that I work with is exactly what you said before, Tom. Where people think that it's not going; they're just going to keep going and going for their performance. But what I need to teach them and what I eventually get over the line is if you stop for ten minutes and do some sort of practice or even five minutes your next three hours are going to be productive you'll improve your performance tenfold so once we can get that established just stopping for five minutes because many people say i don't have 10 minutes i don't have five minutes i'm too busy i'm too busy i'm too busy but busy doesn't mean productive like busy can just be reactive too so Mm -hmm. if you stop for five minutes or 10 minutes i guarantee you your next two hours will be so much your, your performance will improve so
0: much. Mm. And, and I love as well, Mello, with some of the clients that you'll be um, working with, most of them will be leaders in some ways. And if you think about workplace wellbeing and trying to scale, influence and create healthier workplaces, It really starts with that leader and my conversation on my last episode with Shelley Flett was around leadership and how she had a great example of how there was a person she was working with who was a boss who was sending emails at I think it was like 3am in the morning and what that did was and and the attitude was like, well, I'm sending this. I don't expect you to read this email, but I think everybody's watching the leader to set the example on how to work. And we really model our, all employees model their behavior on what the employer or the leader is doing. And yeah, you really raise a really interesting point about your example of that leader who is having the phone by the bedside, making sure he's across or she's across everything sets a really bad precinct for, you know, the overall workplace. And it makes it really hard to build that healthy culture if that is the example
1: hundred percent. There was one particular program I was running also where there was a leader in the group and he was sitting there, you know, folded arms for the first session and he wasn't really sure. But when he came over the line, this this was a group of about 60 people in this particular group. And when he actually unfolded his arms and got into the practice and says, wow, this is actually pretty good. The rest of the room also got on board. It was almost like this guy was commanding the whole room's um uh, energy in a way and once he came on board he actually applauded at the end he stood up at the end and said wow Mano, that was fantastic or oh, really it was amazing fantastic but th- then the whole team that was there it filters down your your 100 and i see it a lot in the workplaces that i work with if it doesn't really start from the top end then the chances are you know it's it's not going to filter down of course through the employees and, and the team
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you're saying that as well, because often we see that sometimes the leaders aren't present at all. And that just means you're really not going to get off to a good start for whether it's training in mindfulness or any other sort of uh, practice that you're trying to encourage in the workplace to create a healthier organisation in general. Hello, one other question I have for you, which I think is quite a good thing to start with, given that we're looking now into 2021 and we're seeing that the workplace will change. We're going to be moving into a hybrid workplace scenario where people can work from home or they can work from the office. Maybe it's 50-50 at the end of the day. The question would be, so where do you see mindfulness fitting in or the future of in the future of the workplace? I
1: think Harvard Business Review put it really nicely. One of their quotes, one of their latest quotes is, mindfulness should no longer be considered a nice to have, it's a must have. Mm. Yeah, you know, I think that's that's been even more present now with what's going on now. So I think it's a necessity, to be honest. Like, really, if you want to build a resilient workplace that's engaged and you know, improve their performance and productivity, it's a must-have. The program I run is called the Mindful Workplace. And what I see is once we start getting everybody on board with the same concepts and ideas, the whole workplace flourishes and, and productivity improves, engagement improves improves happiness and uh, mm. you know, all those sort of things happen. So I'm hoping that trend keeps on going and I do believe it will. I don't think mindfulness is one of those things. that's a fad. that's going to fade away. If anything, it is becoming more of a necessity. Sometimes people, like I said, just need to let go of the meditation preconceptions and just realize that mindfulness improves your performance. And that's a great reason. And yeah. I love that more and more companies yeah. taking it on. Like i, I Since the beginning of the COVID thing around March, April, I got a lot of calls from companies. It was more like rescue mission. Hey, we need help. The mental health is really struggling. The workplace is struggling. The team's struggling. All the different teams are struggling. So it's more like first aid in a way, like mental health first Mm -hmm. aid. I'm hoping that over time people will build these things and become more resilient, become more engaged and be more present. So Mm -hmm. I think it's here to stay is the short answer to that
0: beautiful and in terms of mindfulness going forward do you what success look like in a team or a workplace environment is it a team jumping on a call and practicing mindfulness together or is it them is it each individual having their own toolbox of things that they use to manage their own mental health is that what do you how do you see that
1: yeah it's different for different companies and i think if we can get most of the team on board together, I think that's the best thing. Often I roll out like a lunch and learn type session for people, whether that's virtual, whether that's live. And that will just be a bit of a taste to, into what mindfulness is, and that will break a lot of the skepticism. And then we typically roll that out through the whole company. So it's great if you know more people are on board. Some people need more individual coaching, one-on-one type thing to you know, maybe take that next level or to dive a bit deeper. But if we can get everybody on board and we basically have a happier workplace, to be honest, a happier more engaged workplace because underneath it all like mindfulness is also a great route to or road to um happiness because mm. underneath it all if we strip away all the layers of stress and anger and depression and anxiety and all these layers underneath it all as basic human beings joy is underneath there like it is it's, it's a you know a natural state of being is joy we just need to get rid of the busyness that's on the top and it's clouding it all and all the stress and we'll find that underneath it, there's pure joy and that's a better place to operate from.
0: I love it. That's such a great summary, Mello, to to perhaps finish up on. My last question for you, mate, is if people are interested in mindfulness programs, how should they best get in touch with you specifically?
1: Sure. Probably the easiest way would be under my website. It's uh, mellowcalarco.com, but I'm sure you'll pop that in the show notes. But also connect with me on LinkedIn, mellowcalarco, M-E-L-O-C-A-L-A-R-C-O. I'm sure that'll be in the show notes too. Uh, Feel free to reach out and feel free to have a chat. I'm here to support as many people as possible.
0: There you have it, guys. So, Mallow, thanks so much for your time. You're an absolute gem and your knowledge in mindfulness is amazing and I'm sure a lot of people will get a lot out of today's session. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank
1: you. Thanks, Tom.